0: listening to Irish Radio Canada and last uh, year or earlier this year we had the opportunity to get a tour of the Waterford Museum and even a bit earlier on than that we had the opportunity of being in Kilmach Thomas on the day that the uh, uh, the Greenway, the Waterford Greenway was launched and we uh, spoke with what it is it now t- um, Minister for Foreign Affairs he was punished at the time, Simon Coveney who was there on that date Well, today we're going to hear a bit about some of the towns and villages that are between Dungarvan and Waterford along the trail and maybe a bit about little pieces in between some of the sites that are fantastic, there's tunnels, there's viaducts, there's all those kind of things and there's a fantastic book that's available and when you get to Waterford, the towns and villages of the Waterford Greenway. And it's a history of Dungarvan, Abbeyside, Stradbally, Kilmac, Thomas, Port Law, and Waterford City. Well, today we'll focus on Abbeyside, Stradbally, Kilmac, Thomas, and Port Law. And we'll leave Dungarvan to another day. And I've Willie Whelan here with me, who is a major contributor to the book, local historian. And um, he's going to fill us in and give us some of the, the vignettes about these various places. Willie, thanks a million for coming along for a chat.
1: Thanks for visiting our town, much appreciated.
0: And um, before we start talking about the, the towns and villages, what the Greenway has done, I think, is opened up Dungarvan, where it wouldn't have been as much a uh, destination previously. It's been
1: transformative, you know, from a history point of view. What was there previously is still there but uh, now people can access it more readily you know um, in some respects yes we've had extra services have come on stream you know coffee shops and uh, different accommodation providers but the towns and villages are as I suppose delightful and as beautiful and as historic as they ever were but now more people are getting to enjoy them
0: and from a tourist point of view as well one of the important things is that for someone who wants to walk it, it's easy but for someone who wants to cycle bike rentals are places you can pick up and drop off
1: they're too a penny and an awful lot of them um, now with COVID-19 they have stopped, some of them offering the shuttle services, but in more normal times there was a shuttle service so you could cycle it in one direction and then you would get a, a lift back and you know, so you didn't have to see the same thing twice Right, so for the Irish they know exactly
0: where Waterford is and they know where Dungarvan is but for somebody who is, hasn't been to Ireland, or somebody who has been a long time since, we're talking the southeast, the sunny
1: southeast. Yeah. Well, I suppose the simplest thing to say is, it's actually, it's the best part of Ireland. But then I suppose I am going to say that. Oh, it's no, Galwin, it's nine from Galway. I can't predict <laughs> just fate. Uh, or first argument. Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, it's effectively it's in the it's right in the, the the middle of Ireland, in the centre of it. It's a small town. Uh, Donegalvin is. Uh, eight to ten thousand people depending how you measure the boundaries Um, but it's quite a big catchment area in Irish terms so it's a diverse town
0: And as I said, we'll talk about it at a subsequent time But it's an old town
1: It is indeed, yeah uh, The Normans founded, uh, founded it in 1185 When they um, built their castle um, no, you Now, I won't go into it in too much detail But it was, it was more of a folly, really They, they felt that the, the town was going to be a base for major expansion But ultimately the harbour wasn't suitable So it, it kind of languished as kind of a town for many centuries, you know But, like a lot of towns that
0: had access to the ocean and the sea, it was a fortress town.
1: It it, it was, yeah. uh, As I said, the Normans viewed it as something that was going to be central to their supply chain in southern Ireland when they invaded. But unfortunately, the harbour silted up, so the larger ships couldn't get in. So, ultimately, Waterford and Yale. To some extent ate lunch they they, they, they became more prominent but nonetheless Dungervan uh, struggled on for some years but then ultimately it thrived you know and uh, it's become the town we know today so coming to relatively more recent times Greenways have been cropping up across the country
0: yes. in, on old rail lines yeah. so if we were to talk about the rail link that exists or did exist between um, Waterford and Lungarvan
1: and what line that was and the importance of that Um, Yeah, like a lot of uh, places across Britain and Ireland, uh, the Industrial Revolution brought tremendous change. So, uh, Dungarvan, for most of the 19th century, was served by a crowd called Bianconi. They were uh, horse and carriage guys. And in the 18th century would have been all canals, a lot of canal transport and water transport, to goods. And then, in the mid-19th century, you know, the coming of the railways transformed the country. Um, so there was an awful lot of railway building occurred in a very very short space of time a lot of the stuff was built to particular patterns um, so you kind of see the same design of bridges cropping up uh, over and over again and the warford Dungaven and Lismore ra- railway line it was pushed very much by the Duke of Devonshire Uh, he invested reasonably heavily in it um, and he got a lot of state support for it as well and actually in the end of it all it was the state that ended up bailing it out because it never proved to be particularly profitable it was one of those items that was perhaps essential, but you were never going to make much money on it. So, uh,
0: if we're looking at a time period between start of construction and end of construction, when might that be?
1: Uh, it, it, it was over a four or five year period, um, and it was up and running in the 1870s. Um, its peak years were during World War I. Okay. And it was used very much for the transport of troops and goods, and that was the short period of time when it actually made a little bit of money.
0: Right. Um, so uh, from a labour point of view as well these projects always
1: provided lots of uh, labour for manual labour. Uh, yeah, they did, they did. for a period of time, but again, of course, it's 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 short-term labour. Yeah. Um. You know, and once the project is done, then there's little enough labour. When when the railway is talking about, uh, spoken about by um, a lot of people in a in a in a semi-modern context, you know, in the forties and the fifties and even into the sixties, what people talk about is is not the employment, but actually it was the route out of unemployment. It was what got you to Britain. Okay. And um, and that's maybe to some extent why the railway is still kind of romanticized locally. It was oftentimes the last place that people would have seen when they yeah. were leaving the town, you know. Yeah. Um, so
0: the route always with railways, also because the need to keep a relatively good gradient, yes, means that the rail is going to find that and make it that way, so from a modern perspective as a greenway, as a cycle route, it also makes these things very attractive.
1: Yeah, it's been ideal really, I I think uh, we were probably the second greenway in the country, I think Westport was first, Yeah. Um, and I think there's been an element of the uh, Westport got it very right and then we looked at what they did and we tried to do it a little bit better. Um, I suppose John Garvin had never really been positioned as a tourist town before and certainly the small villages you know your Strabilly Kilmac Thomas Portlaw they would have had very little tourist trade I mean Uh, you know, I'm 50, 51 now, and uh, I mean we've had tourists for four years, so this is, we would have had three or four weeks in the summer, people would pass through the town, but But the villages
0: in between would have been neglected, completely neglected, yeah, indeed, and particularly since
1: the road improvement happened where you had cars and they weren't even going into these villages, that's right, yeah, lots lots of bypasses, you know, and and I suppose in a sense, you know, when you kind of read some of the histories of the villages, you kind of get a sense of why they were set up, uh, you know, they were set up for different reasons so Port Law was an industrial town 19th century industrial town set up for the cotton mills uh, Kilmac Thomas was a fording point on a river Strabley appears to have been uh, grown up around uh, an early medieval church and to some extent then once the reason for your development evaporates you then have um, the challenge of being off the beaten track uh, and I suppose what the Greenway has kind of done is it's, it's kind of brought these villages back into focus, you know, and it has revitalized them, particularly Kilmac Thomas has been transformed by it.
0: For any project like this, you mentioned the the one between uh, Achill and um, uh, Mulrani, and the beautiful out there as well. So you you were able to look at that and see what they had done and see what the opportunity was. How much of a challenge was it to get the necessary type of be it um, government, national government or county council support or local support to buy in that this was something that was going to yield dividends.
1: It was an enormous challenge. Um, we have letters in the museum, from the museum back in the late 90s saying that listen, you know, we should be making use of the railway line, it should be a local amenity, it should be a local walkway. Um, I know that I've spoken to members of the local, we 've one of the biggest athletic clubs in Ireland locally, they said they were saying the same thing back in the, the early to mid 90s saying, listen, the railway line should be opened up and it should be used as a jogging or running track or a kind of a linear park, or you know. Um, this idea was there for a long while and there was um, enormous resistance to it. So the, the, the council kind of did a feasibility study. Oh, it certainly might have been at the end of the, end of the 90s, it started at the zero zeros. Um, but the project, uh, because a lot of the land had been claimed in by right. different groupings and landowners, no one seemed to want to grasp that nettle. Right. And the objections stalled the project, and to be honest, we were quite lucky. Uh, you had a very good uh, local community group, Dacia Greenway, that campaigned for it and I think you had a county manager and Michael Welch ultimately um, uh, that said no this project needs to happen and I think that was the single then for things to start occurring you know that uh, uh, you know everyone got on and it it was made work the objections were kind of right I hear what you're saying but this needs to occur right and at that point then actually it progressed very very quickly Um, so the first year was a wild success, we couldn't believe you'd see Dungarvan and Aer Lingus flight magazines and on the television and you know, it was quite entertaining to see your little town or even Kilmac Thomas as I said did very well out of it, you know, started to get featured nationally on, on television programs. And that would have been really unusual. Um, Then I suppose in the second year then we were we were attempting to deal with maybe the the difficulties of growth. Mm -hmm. How do we handle this you know? Is there enough accommodation? Are there too many tourists? You know because ultimately stuff has to be kind of sustainable and people have to live here. Um, Building a greenway to get in loads of money to me is not the purpose of doing it It's it's to make the environment a better place to kind of live in and maybe visit so and, and
0: of that's, course, if, if it gets too busy, it loses its appeal as well.
1: It loses its appeal, yeah. I think everyone has been in holidays to various famous foreign locations, you know, and you kind of when you actually arrive there, it's such a letdown. You know, you've got to queue for three hours to kind of get in somewhere.
0: And not just that, but particularly the Irish experience and the expected experience of the tourists to Ireland is that of open countryside, is that of uncrowded, uncluttered, Pastoral environment.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I I think to me, like, you know, if you want to see um, the biggest mountain in the world, the biggest lake, the biggest river, the biggest building, they're in other countries. Uh You know, but we do human sized stuff very, very well. And we have done anyway. And what we don't want, I think, is to lose the things that we do well in a a rush for riches. (laughs) Um, And I think, look, we're starting to manage it. We have now got additional coffee shops have opened, some of the parking stuff is getting addressed. Um, We're we're starting to find a happy medium of of what do the tourists want after the first boom year and I think it's becoming a better experience both for the locals and for the visitors. And of course the beauty of a greenway whether
0: it be here or in Westport or in other parts of the country now is that you actually don't have
1: to build what the tourist wants to see because you actually have it. Well, look, as I said, the, to me the attractions already exist. What I personally could not understand with an awful lot of the previous tourism that we used to get locally was how intense it was. It was coachloads of, of generally quite elderly people arriving and being run around Dungurban for half an hour and being made to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning to have their breakfast before being driven up to Cork to be run around the English Market for another half an hour Um, I don't think that's a way to see Ireland because to me a lot of the attraction of Ireland is the people and the interactions and having a slow holiday and discovering things. And it's kind of the joy of small things. I think that's, <laughs> I that's the best way I put it. So the Greenway is 42
0: kilometres, as I understand it. Yep. Uh, is it all asphalt? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So unlike a lot of other trails, yep. uh, you, you can feel comfortable even as a relatively um, inexperienced or, or slightly... Cyclist, <laughs> that that you're not going to be
1: worried about having to hit dirt roads or anything like that. It's Even people with a disability you know it's fit for that. So what they've done recently and it's a lovely thing, it's, um, I'm not sure if you've seen those trains that you see in some European cities, you know those little city trains, uh-huh. that they, like you pull them five or six hours behind a tractor. Yeah, basically. So the senior citizens they bring one of these down the Greenway a couple of times uh, every Christmas. So right. our elderly can do it but if you had a motorized wheelchair if you, even to be honest if you're a wheelchair you'd, you'd certainly be able to get up and down as much of the greenway as you wanted
0: so um we're going to take uh, a little bit of music and um, maybe the old Dungarvan Oak would be a good one to start with. Yes, yeah. a little piece of that. Well, I will tell you a little bit of history
1: about it? Tell you a bit <laughs> of history about that. Nothing whatsoever to do about Dungarvan. Right. It was a, a, a piece of text by a Dungarvan uh, songwriter and it originally was the old Carnarvon Oak in Wales <laughs> and of course when they got to what are we going to sing about, the one Irish town that rhymed with Carnarvon was Dungarvan. So they went and that's, that's why it's the old Dungarvan Oak. <laughs> as I rode out one
2: morning, going to Dungarvan Fair, yeah. I spied a pretty collie oh, with the sunlight in her hair. Her way was so delightful, her voice rang like a bell. And as I overtook her, I asked if she was well Lay down your woolen shawl My love, I swear it is no joke And I'll tell to you the story Of the old Um Ungarven oak Before we reached Um Ungarven The girl did at me stare And asked me why I raised me hat To a tree so old and bare So I told her of the legend If the tree should e'er come down There'd be a great disaster And Um Ungarvan would be drowned Lay down your woolen shawl My love, I swear it is no joke And I'll tell to you the story Of the old Um Ungarvan oak Well then she started laughing My face grew very red She said that only fools believe what those old legends said Our laughter was contagious, for the truth to you I'll tell Before we reached the marketplace I began to laugh as well Lay down your woolen shawl, my love, I swear it is no joke And I'll tell to you the story of the olden Ungarvenor Sittin' by the fireside in the autumn of my life, and the darling girl I met that day is now me darling wife. I have a lovely daughter and the son to push my yoke, and it's all because I raise me hat to the olden oak Lay down your woolen shawl, my love, I swear it is no joke. And I'll tell to you the story Of the old and gardener. Lay down and shawl My love, I swear it is no joy And I'll tell to you the story Of the old and gardener.
1: This is my home place now
0: and we're chatting with Willie Whelan, and he's, as I said there, this is his home place. We're heading into Abbeyside. And Abbeyside, but if you go from Dungavon to uh, Waterford, Abbeyside is the first village you're going to come across.
1: How far out of Dungarvan are we? Uh, we're not out of Dungarvan at all really according to the politicians and geographers, but Abbeyside people would tell you that you've travelled a thousand miles. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How many years?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, as I said, uh, Abbeyside is basically a, a small uh, village, and for uh, seven centuries really, it would have had a population of you know, anywhere between 40 or 50. It grew up around a local monastery, which is you know Abbeyside, the Abbeyside of of the Colligan River. Um, really it was only with the, the construction of the causeway and the bridge to Dungervan in the early 19th century that um, uh, that the link between the two towns was firmed up and suddenly Abbeyside became a suburb of, Dung- of Dungervan as opposed to a distinct community in its own right. Abbeyside historically would generally have been poorer, uh, very much a fishing-based economy and then in the 1820s when you could get across without having to wade across the harbour or pay a ferry boat, there was a whole cluster of houses started to get built uh, for the better off people in Dungarvan. So uh, that, that then was the, the explosion of growth in Abbeyside, but even up to the 1930s or 40s the population of Abbeyside was three or 400, but today it's probably equal to that of um, it's There's about 5,000 in each, in each part of the town.
0: So, uh, I have to comment upon, as you approach Abbey's side, the uh, bridge that we're about to go under has beautiful murals, uh, birds on each side.
1: Yeah. Uh, <coughs> what are we looking at? Well, this is a little project. One of the great things about living in a small town is that you can influence your environment, you don't get lost. You know so if you 're a member of the local chamber of commerce uh, such as totem a graphic graphic design company locally, you can actually come up with an ID and you know who to talk to to get it to happen uh, and Totem came up with the idea of putting i suppose uh, a painting on this particular bridge of a swan to celebrate nature along the greenway and very quickly from kind of initiating the ID to uh, to execution, it happened over a very short space of time so what was a nondescript replacement bridge. It was quite. Um, uh, they, they chopped the top off a lovely board bridge back in the, the late 60s. Uh, so it, it's not an attractive structure, and a little bit of earth now is transformed into something that you know is pleasant to look at. It blends into the environment. Yeah, yeah. That, that's something actually that I, I would say about a lot of the, the Greenway. Um, you know, a, a lot of the early pushing for it was done by the Stacia Greenway Community Group. Uh, in heritage around Dungarvan, a lot of the signs you see are something that I would have come up with and along with Willie Freire and the Museum we'd have gone and said, here listen, we need to do signs about the harbour, we need to do signs about the square signs about Abbeyside, we want to do them. And you're kind of pushing an open door because they know our track record and they know what we're capable of doing um, and it's great that you can kind of have that level of influence on your community, you know. So, um, <coughs> while
0: we're through Abbeyside, I hate to say it since it's your, <laughs> your hometown. hometown. Um, but it, it's really because you're only starting out you're less likely to stop here uh, and stop Indeed. off because you've just got on the bike in, in Dungarvan and you're hardly getting off in, in Abbeyside. Yes. You see, if, you,
1: if you're on the bike that's absolutely correct, but what I would actually encourage people to do is, I think there's several different ways to do the Greenway. You can cycle it and say you've done it, or you can come down and experience it. And to me, I think if you were going to experience it, you might actually potter along it and take diversions off it into the villages. A lot of the train stations were on the edges of the villages so if you actually just sprint up and down the Greenway like Roadrunner yeah. you're not going to see, see that much you will see nice scenery, you will go across a couple of nice bridges and a couple of nice viaducts but actually experiencing what these towns are like and what, what Waterford is like you're going to miss a lot of that so I'd encourage people to perk up the bike it's not the Tour de France and uh, get into those villages and sit down and have a coffee and chat to people So you mentioned that within Waterford you've been
0: able to manage to get some um, what would be placard type signs which are uh, explanatory. Would you get the same in Abbeyside? Have you been able to get any in there?
1: Well in in Dungarvan, yeah, we have one in in Abbeyside. Now these are around the village. Um, As I said they are still developing signage here for the Greenway. I don't know what stage it's at yet but one of the theories we had when we did the book was um, we wanted a coherent uh, chronological history of all of the villages to be available because I suppose like a lot of um, public bodies everywhere, an awful lot of the people who staff the local council are not locals so they will miss a lot of the nuance and stuff. Now none of this is deliberate uh, but what's important or uh, what's significant locally is not something that they may know. So um, by having this history there this is going to f- form the basis for an awful lot of the signs a lot of the imagery we have in the book is is there that's available to the council we make that available free of charge as well so they can basically take a look at the book and come out with what's significant for them and generate it. maybe we signs. be on the other side of the path here? Uh, yes. well, of so doesn't really matter that no much. We're yeah, we're just, that's yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I get confused because of the side I'd normally be oh, walking yes, yes, on. Yes, yes. We, we'd, we'd be driving on the other side of the road but when you mentioned the book What we are going to do this week is uh, uh, make a copy of the book available to a listener through a competition through the app. Oh lovely. So uh, if you go in on the Irish Radio Canada app you will see a link across the top that will bring you over to a a competition page and if you enter there uh, we'll be able to get a copy of the book to you. So uh, uh, I'm looking forward to being able to share that. Now you mentioned a word and um, I know the locals all know what it is uh, but I want to hear a bit of the background of it. You mentioned Daisha. Yes, because I know it relates to here. What's Daisha?
1: Uh, Daisha is uh, the, the origin of it is a tribe in County Mead, um, the Dashi, And basically they lost a series of battles, they got overwhelmed. So they were forced from their native or ancestral lands in around the 9th century uh, and they migrated down to Watford, so then the Dacia then was the land of the Dacia, this is the area they would have settled in.
0: And were there family names or associated with that? Uh,
1: there would be, yeah. My name is Whelan, which yeah. is uh, off Whelan in Irish. You yeah. sometimes hear it called Feelan and in America it's often called Whelan. Yeah, and yeah. around other words it's called Whelan. Yeah, and that's down to the the accent and that can make genealogy very interesting because I had uh, a grand uncle, Patrick Francis Whelan, yeah. and he landed in Worcester, Massachusetts and a week later he was Frank Whelan. Yeah, so actually trying to find them in the databases and stuff can be can be a chore. Indeed, indeed. So as we
0: leave Abbeyside and we move along, our next place we're going to arrive into is um, we're heading for Strad Valley. Yeah. No, I'll have to tell you, I'm a familiar with the Strad in County huh. because uh, I think that's where they have the uh, steam. That's right. Yes, steam valley yeah, yeah. up there. But this is another Strad Valley. So yeah. as a result of there being two Strad Valleys, I understand that's Stradwalia
1: or Strad what? So how does Strad Valley here get its name? Um, uh, in truth, I actually don't know. A lot of the early origins of Strad Valley are kind of lost. Um, we know it's early medieval. We don't know exactly why it was founded. The earliest building in the locality appears to be an early medieval church, so that would give you the hint that the community grew up around that. Um, but there are a couple of settlements around Watford that you'd look at and you kind of go, I don't know why this is here. Um, but the best guess would be that Strad is a, a, a settlement that grew up around an early medieval church. So as we get into Strad what are we seeing here? Well, Strably is a very nice village, um, it's got a, a lovely uh, square, um, very well tended, very picturesque, I suppose it's a sleepy Irish uh, village in many respects, um, it's a little bit off the beaten track, uh, lovely coastline um, and fantastic g team, they'll tell you that. <laughs>
0: Well, when you say it's off the beaten track, it was off the beaten track until the Greenway came in.
1: The Greenway has now kind of brought, brought it a little bit closer, but of the villages along the way, Port Law and Strably, you would still have to make an effort to, to get into them. You know, you're on about a mile, you, okay. you would have to travel. And how far from Dungarvan are we then? Uh, Strably is about 8 miles from Dungarvan. So, you know, maybe on the way back it's time for a cup of coffee or something. Yeah. Or What's interesting with a lot of the train stations, a lot of the set out, is the Strably train station is thorough. Right. Um, which is basically a train station in the middle of nowhere. It, it, it seems to be something that train stations do quite frequently. That it, it, if you were a, a Stradbally commuter getting down to Doro would be quite a chore for you to get up early every, every morning. But um, they built these uh, stations on the the edges of their villages. You know, as you said, probably where the gradient suited. And Stradbally then that it
0: survived, what was it's source of, was it a, a, a market town for farming or...?
1: For yeah, mainly it was a market town and it, it would have been on the edge of what we would call the Copper Coast as well so there was a big mining boom there in the 1840s and 50s, uh, they mined copper along the area and Strabley would have been one of the villages that would have benefited somewhat off of that um, but basically it's been a sleepy rural agricultural town for most of its existence
0: and again you mentioned that uh, like there is a, a church there that goes way back
1: yeah there's 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 a couple of different churches there's a Protestant church there's a medieval church there's a more modern Catholic church uh, that's quite common in Ireland because what tends to happen is that uh, with um, when Martin Luther came on the scene and King Henry VIII the Protestants kind of grabbed the existing Catholic churches And then when the penal laws started to be relaxed, those those laws against Catholics, in the 1820s you had this kind of boom in church building across Ireland where the Catholics erected generally a newer church in the same locality beside the one they would have had 200 or 300 years before. So
0: Willie, are there any um, interesting stories from Strad Valley? famous
1: people, uh, well, there serious there, crimes there is, I mean, like sadly fa- it's famous for a very tragic story uh, The Missing Postman yeah, I've heard uh, about that heard yeah, it's there's, been, um, there's been an awful lot written about him um, Larry Griffin, um, a poor gentleman I think what has what left to live on in the memory as a historian, a lot of things seem to evaporate out of the public conscience uh, but something stick and normally what tends to happen is it will be a particular aspect of a tragedy or kind of unfortunate circumstances that means it's a little bit more tragic than the other tragedies that happen and in this case what seems to have occurred is uh, the poor chap died in a bear late at night um, and there was people who were let's say uh, upstanding citizens in the community you know kind of teachers and girls and stuff like that were present on the premises and they were confronted with the problem that, in effect, they were breaking the law by being locked in after hours. So uh, the postman then was made disappear. So it doesn't, people don't know where he is uh, today, they don't know where his body is. There was a major investigation and there was a very substantial trial, but they couldn't progress it, you know. Uh, and obviously, in, in such a small place like Ireland, a lot of the descendants of the main actors are still alive and living in the locality. So that adds a certain um, difficulty to it. And I understand that Sight was found. So, yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And of course, the fact that it was to run into Christmas as well, you know. Right. Uh, all of that kind of leaves a, a certain tragic air to it. Um, as we're walking along, and, and
0: again the weather in this part of the country is fabulous, we're being overtaken by numerous cyclists and we're being confronted because uh, by numerous cyclists, <laughs> uh,
1: but the, the Greenway is busy even for yeah. Uh, mid-September. Yeah, it, it, it's quite amazing, as I said previously we would have had a tourist season that was maybe four weeks long, uh, maybe six weeks if we were lucky, now things start getting going after St. Patrick's Day and uh, it could well be October and even after that we'll see groups here at weekends you know it's come very busy so um, what we'll do is
0: is there any piece of music that's associated with Stradbally? I honestly do not know
1: <laughs> there you go, yeah. there's loads of things I don't know I know a little bit about history but uh. well, we'll find a nice piece of water of
0: <laughs> music and settle it in there as we move our way on towards Portlaw, oh, well Mac Thomas and then Portlaw okay I'm sorry. listening to Irish Radio can then we're on the Waterford Greenway and we've been in Abbeyside and Stradbury and we're making our way into Kilmac Thomas and I'm with Willie Whelan uh, who is one of the major contributors to the book The Towns and Villages of the Waterford Greenway which you can win a copy if you head into the app you'll find an entry form on the, underneath the top banner. Uh, Willie as we approach Thomas probably the um, would it be the bigger of the towns along the Greenway?
1: Yeah, it is. It's it's kind of the halfway town between Watford City and Doneraile, and historically it would have been the stopping off point for a lot of those coaches, those horse and carts that the and companies like him would have run. You know, the stables would have been there to refresh the the horses, uh, and it probably grew up Thomas as a fording point on the Matten River. Um, It's a spectacular uh, town in some respects, they have an absolutely lovely railway viaduct there that actually goes right through the town, it's a a, a smashing piece of architecture uh, and lovely to see and um, of course
0: because as you say it's kind of like the midpoint, an ideal spot if you're bringing your own bike and you want to find parking there and that way you could go to Waterford
1: one day and back and Dungarvan another day and back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of of all the villages, I, I think the two places that have benefited the most in the Greenway have been Dungarvan and Kilmac Thomas. Right. Um, Kilmac Thomas has been absolutely transformed. There's a bit of a vibrancy on the main street now. Um, I'm sure Kilmac Thomas people would would maintain there was there was always life in Kilmac Thomas. But to be honest, it's uh, it's it suffered underneath two different bypasses. Uh, so the the, the motor the cares have moved away from Kilmac Thomas twice in a row basically as, as the road structure got more sophisticated and kind of when I was growing up and going to college in the early 90s Kilmac Thomas was just completely bypassed you know you, you would not know what was there you couldn't even really see into it um, you'd have driven past it before you know it but Kilmac Thomas has a long industrial past in milling, mm-hmm. it does. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it's also got a, a oat milling uh, and porridge. Is yes. From Clavering. Clavering immensely famous, and there was also kind of a woollen mills there. But while it was quite a substantial uh, affair, it, it seemed to kind of struggle on for 20 or 30 years. It was kind of kept going um, by benefactors as much as as, as being run as. Um, uh, a proper business and uh, once the lady that was pushing it I, th- I think it was uh, um, uh, Lord Waters' wife off the top of my head now that was actually looking at it as a way of employing poor people in the area, once she passed away the, the it, it kind of slowly ebbed away and kind of went to rack and ruin. Uh, am I mistaken were the Flavins? connected with the Quakers or was there? uh, I'm not sure about the Flevins, I'd say you're thinking of the Malcolmsons in uh, Fort Law, they were a Quaker family. Okay, we'll talk about that when we get into Fort Law
0: then. Um, So uh, scenic wise um, Kilmack Thomas is stunning, a beautiful beautiful village Um, and as you look down the main street towards the viaduct very impressive and as I mentioned at the beginning we were fortunate enough to be in Thelmacht Thomas on the day that the Greenway was launched four years ago and it was a glorious day yeah. and the place was a buzz and those lovely coffee shops uh, which hopefully they're back open and able to uh, serve with social distancing and meet
1: all the requirements so I imagine they would be able to Yes, oh, the, look, uh, yeah, yeah, it looks like there's a bit of action there. Mo- most of them are, are trading away now again. Um, I would also say that there's actually a lovely little park down in Kilmac Thomas, so if you're, if you're going for a picnic and you do want to spend a fortune and you've got a, some bread rolls and coffee with you, you can pop in there and eat it in peace and quiet. Now, you mentioned the... Um, Coach houses there, that's where the bicycle rental is. As far as I know, uh, there's one of the bicycle rental shops there, that's a former workhouse. Um, right No, uh, I know a little bit about workhouses because many many years ago when I came out of college, uh, I was kind of the junior partner in writing a book about uh, workhouses uh, in, in the famine in, right. in West Waterford. Uh, the, the, f- the, f- the workhouse in Kilmac Thomas was kind of built as the worst ravages of the famine were starting to ebb away, it's not really it sometimes advertises a famine workhouse but it was kind of, came into operation about 1852 okay. so it, it kind of missed an awful lot of 1847 1848 when, when things were really really bad uh, it, typically of most of the workhouses they're built to patterns they're, they're kind of designed to be used in a particular way and to understand the architecture and the layout you need to understand what the workhouses were trying to do they were trying to support people, they weren't trying to keep them alive, they weren't prisons, but it was felt with the Victorian attitude that if you made things too easy for people, that they would abuse your kindness and generosity. That, that's a pleasant way of putting it now. But uh, So they wanted the workhouses to be unwelcoming, so what they did was you had to wear a really rough uniform, you had to uh, work while you were in there at uh, very menial jobs such as um, breaking rocks for roads, sewing garments, all this type of thing. Uh, and you also had families split up. Um, so you had wives and husbands and children weren't allowed kind of cohabit. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was designed to make the workhouse not an easy option for people. That if, if you wanted to go into the workhouse, there was something kind of serious that. Uh, yes, I am in desperate trouble here, I'm going to have to go to the workhouse. We did manage to uh, do a walkthrough
0: at the workhouse, uh, National Workhouse Museum in Fort Umna. And I would urge anybody if they're in the west of Ireland and it's a little bit off the beat track to go down to Fort Umna, But it's
1: certainly an experience that's well worth going to. The, the numbers involved in, in the workhouses and during the famine are quite incredible and perhaps even a lot of your listeners don't realise that the reason that they're listening to this in Canada or Britain or America is maybe not directly because of the famine, but because of the economic side effects of the famine. That uh, all through the 1870s and 1880s. I know you from the paper. <laughs> Same, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, the side effects of of the famine, like the the economy of all of these small towns and villages around Ireland completely collapsed and peak immigration was actually happening in the 1870s and 1880s not back in the 1840s and 1850s but it was as a result of uh, effectively the, the, the businesses failing and, and the towns kind of going downhill in Dungarvan, Dungarvan was a town of about 18 uh, sorry, in 1840 Dungarvan had about 10,000 of a population right. uh, in 1920 it had a population of around 5,000 we didn't touch on it here,
0: but when you do mention the, those time periods, of course there was a lot of emigration, and there were previous famines to the 1840s which yeah. drove emigration, but even way before that, particularly from Watford, there was strong connection between Watford and Newfoundland.
1: Yeah, it's, it's enormous really You know, and it's, 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 it's been covered quite comprehensively by people who know a hell of a lot more about it than me elsewhere, but it is something that's very striking that when you hear someone from Newfoundland talking, they're talking with your and accent,
0: and they might have your Name and they might have my name. You yeah, might be
1: yeah. a power or a, a yeah. hern or, or a. Yeah, there's the, the connection. I, it seems like a lot of things, it seems to have started out as kind of a, a transient seasonal thing, you know, on, on the fisheries, but I suppose with the distances and everything involved over a period of time, people just settled it was easier to, to stay. Well, it was yeah. given, okay. the, given
0: the distance, and of course, in Newfoundland in Irish is Palavanate. Oh. the land of fish because the rumour, well it's said that in the 151600s, when they were overfishing off the Grand Banks you could nearly step out of the boat there were so many yeah.
1: fish in the water and you wouldn't sink. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting thing, one of the things with a lot of folklore like that is those tales are repeated time and time again. We had a very similar tale uh, from the 1820s in Dungarvan with the hake fishery. So right. again you could get out of your boat and walk across on the hake there's so plentiful
0: Yes, yeah. the, the way to describe it. Well I actually saw years ago when I was down uh, in Nevada uh, there were so many fish in one area off in um, the the lake there outside um, Las Vegas that you nearly couldn't, well you would think because they'd get out of the way but other than that with so many fish, so it is conceivable. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move along. We're heading from Kilmac Thomas. Before we leave Kilmac Thomas, is there anything
1: special? Were there any scandals in Kilmac we should know about? Oh, I'm trying to think now about scandals. Well, I suppose Cromwell lost a good part of his army there trying to get across a river. Okay. You know? uh, he was trying to ford the Mahon River during the Eleven Years' War and. Um, he got caught when the river was in flood. And one of the interesting things, if anyone is a student of military history, is you were generally nearly more likely to die from illness than you were from getting shot in a lot of, those, um, in, in, in lot of the wars in that time period. And that's actually why the wars were often prosecuted with such cruelty. They wanted to frighten the castle down the road to surrender quickly. Because if you're in a siege situation, uh, you had the prospects of cholera uh, dysentery all these different types of illnesses and you were running out of food because um, I'm not sure how much your listeners would be, uh, be aware of it but three or four years ago in Ireland we had a huge snowstorm and very really quickly... We, we have them every year. Yeah, you, you would laugh at the sort <laughs> of we had now, to be honest, right? Yeah, we were. <laughs> but we got a shock. We didn't know what was happening. And um, very quickly, bread was not on the shelves. So <laughs> with a modern uh, distribution system with articulated lorries running between supermarkets, we ended up in a situation that there wasn't food on the shelves. Yeah. Right. So if you're a medieval army and you're trying to feed Cromwell's army, would have been somewhere in the region of five to 6,000 people. He was trying to feed all of them with horses and cats uh, by raiding small farms. Right. And f- four and five eggs here and, you know, a chicken there. Right. And uh, the logistics of that, uh, with no proper roads, no proper transport, is very, very difficult. Right. So one of the interesting things is... Uh, Cromwell lost thousands of men, down in KilmacThomas Thomas, okay. due to illness. And it often actually, I won't say it excuses, but it does explain, when they arrived at a castle and they wanted uh, you to surrender, they'd often give you one chance. And the reason was that if they massacred you and they wiped you out, the next castle down the road knew what was coming to them and they, right. they thought about it more seriously. Right, right.
0: So here we are, we're leaving Kilmac Thomas and uh, we're going to be arriving in Port Law shortly. And uh, we'll see how that goes.
3: For fun and diversion we have come together, I tell you, from Waterford hither we came. We crossed the deep ocean in dark stormy weather, our hats they were light and our pockets the same. Sad at leaving all Ireland, we're once more in dry land, when at the roadside a tavern I spied. And as I was melting my pockets, I felt for the price of a drink I was mortally dry. To the tavern I rolled, and the landlord he strolled, in good morrow, said he, and said I, if you please. Well, you get me a bed, and then bring me some bread, and a bottle of porter, and a small piece of cheese. My bread and cheese ended, I then condescended to take my repose, so I bade him good night. When under the clothes I was trying to doze, I first dipped me toes, and then blew to the light. Now I wasn't long sleeping when I heard something creeping and gnawing and chawing around the bedpost. My breath I suspended, but the noise never ended, says I, you have damnable claws for a ghost. For to make myself easy and being very lazy, my head once more I stuck out from the claws. Here red Japers, what's that? But a tundra and jack rat took one leap from the floor, jumped right up to me nose. Well, I reached for me hobnail and made me a bobtail and wrestled with rats till the clear light of day. Then the landlord came in and says he with a grain for your supper and bade you five shillings to pay. Five shillings for what? Now don't be disgracing yourself as a rogue, says I if you please. While I can't get to sleep, you've the devil's own cheek to charge me five shillings for dry bread and cheese. Oh, the landlord went rearing and leaping and tearing. He jumped out the window and kicked in the door. When he could get no further, he cried, Be the murder! these rats, they are raping me up by the score. They sleep in me stable, they eat from me table, They wrestle me dogs and they kill all me cats. Faith then says, I'll give me those five shillings And I'll tell you a way to get rid of the rats. As he handed the silver I will then said he For my life is a wreck And my nights are a curse My wife has long left me My children neglect left me My grassy green fields Have all turned to furs I am miser Says I just invite them To supper and dry bread And cheese lay before them For sure Never mind if they're willing But charge them five shillings And never again Will the rat crush your floor de da de ootle We're on the Waterford
0: Greenway and we're with Willie and We've just been in Kilmer Thomas and we're riding in Fort Lawn. We're trying to to stay safe and not get run down by bicycles. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Willie. um, So Uh, Portlaw,
1: Portlaw is actually probably the most unique um, uh, village uh, on the Greenway and its origins are in in some respects completely different to all the other villages and towns that we've discussed previously. Portlaw is uh, effectively, there was was a smaller settlement there previously uh, built around the mill as far as I can remember but Law is a modern creation and it's, it's like one of those industrial towns that you see in the north of England that was laid out to a pattern and it was designed to be functional. Um, and it's, it's kind of, if you look at it, Port Law, the street plan of Port Law, is so if you catch your your hand and you put it down on a piece of paper and trace around it, yeah? Uh, it's like your fingers of your hand all come into the PAM, and the PAM is where the factory was. Right. Um, an enormous uh, operation at its height. Uh, several thousand workers were employed there. Uh, you know, for, for a village that historically would have had 50 or 60 people in it, probably. Um, it boomed with the cotton boom, um, right. the 19th century cotton boom, and would have had some of the parallels of, uh, as I said, uh, you know, those Lancashire mills and all that type of thing. But what was really interesting was that the owners were a family called the Malcolmsons, a family of Quakers. And they behaved with great decency towards their workers. Right. Um, now, they had very kind of strict rules, but the rules were all designed to kind of en- enhance the workers' lives. So, you know, if you remember the pioneer association or the, the, the Absence association down there, you kind of got rewarded for joining. Okay. Um, and they were, they were very decent in terms of the housing. There's particular types of housing was developed uh, for the workers. The conditions were good. The industrial safety was unbelievable by the standards of the time. You know, I mean, you'd hear horror stories from some of those north of England mills with small children getting crushed and, and destroyed and mutilated for life. That, that didn't happen in Port Law, so the Malkinsons were pretty good people. Um, and uh, they were also quite good at business, but then they got caught, and, and what caught them to some extent was the, um, the American Civil War, right? Um, What's interesting, I suppose, is there's an aspect of Irish history that hasn't been explored too much that we always feel that we were kind of put down upon by other people, you know, and uh, that we've always gotten the wrong end of the stick, and to some extent that's correct. But the bits where we put other people down are normally not looked at so carefully. Mm-hmm, true. Um, and uh, again, the Malcolmsons weren't pro- pro-slavery or anything, but they didn't get caught by the blockade on the southern states, and the raw materials didn't, didn't, didn't arrive and there was a huge debate in Watford at the time as to uh, what were the rights and wrongs of the American Civil War and basically one newspaper took uh, the Republican side and the Emancipation side and the other newspaper didn't, uh, primarily on financial grounds because it was uh, destroying um, the cotton trade locally right. um, uh, but ultimately uh, the Americans, they got out of it but they weren't quite the, the powerhouse they were and then within a generation some bad investments and things meant that the the power of the family dissipated but uh, around Port Law they would be very well regarded as a family you know. It's interesting because I know
0: that outside of Galway originally uh, after the famine I think it was that the um, Quakers again took a lot of land and set up uh, farming effectively agricultural college. Yes, uh, and their commitment to community has always been very evident and very
1: strong, yeah. and, and, and likewise even in, in, even in Ring, which is again outside Dungarvan, um, they did an awful lot of work in keeping the community of Ring alive, a lot of uh, education in terms of um, uh, the fisheries and support regarding the fishing out in Ring. Um, you know, it, it is really as, as a grouping, uh, they're kind of one blemish really in Irish history, which is a bit unusual. Uh, now, the um, cotton itself, I would not have been
0: familiar with cotton as being a, a product of the Irish scene. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Happy, peop- happy people, Happy people, sight the Great That's the great thing about it. It's that's a happy the best people. Type of interruption, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't <laughs> it?
1: It is indeed. So yeah, cotton, how long that was, how did it uh, evolve? Well really what, what I would say is sometimes it's helpful to think of Ireland as part of the British Empire, right. um, rather than as an island nation in its own right which we are now um, So really, uh, Ireland is basically just an outpost of all those great northern English cotton mills, and when they grew up the Malcolmians decided to put one here, so you know, we would have mirrored often on a smaller scale, developments that were taking place in England, so that was really the reason that the the cotton mills happened over here. Right, I'm, I was more thinking, but the cotton, was was it grown in the area or was it imported? Uh, no, uh, I know there was a little bit of flax and stuff up the north, but nearly all the cotton, as far as I know, is imported, okay. mainly from the, the, the southern states. Okay, the big okay, right, Right. that makes sense. Any other interesting facts then that uh, are attributable to Port Law? Well, I mean, it's famous for having a thing called letter money, which is actually made out of cardboard. Okay. Um, This is something I think you see in quite a lot of pioneer towns in America and maybe in Canada, that in the early years, a dominant business will issue their own money. Okay. Like Uh, Hudson Bay, I think, would have been one that... Yeah, that's something I've heard of sort the trappers and the groupings, yeah. Um, So, something similar happened in Port Law. Now, uh, it happened elsewhere in Ireland. But it was done in an exploitative way. It was, it was done in a way that was meant to trap you into the local industrialist's right. grasp. You had to spend the wages he gave you in the shop he owned. Okay. In Port Law, it wasn't really done for that reason, it was just done to kind of facilitate commerce in okay, the area. Sure, right. And actually, interestingly, the, the, the Malcolms were so well regarded, their money was actually accepted outside of the locality.
0: right. right. So, when we get to uh, Port Law, I forgot to ask. How far did we have to come between Kilmac Thomas and Port Lott? Oh, I
1: have, I have never walked it, I've driven it quite frequently. <laughs> I suppose the worst of it is if you're a local, sometimes you you don't spot what's in your own area. You know, I know. Uh, uh, I, I was condemning all the visitors earlier on for rushing through a place. Yeah, but approximately, what, would it be 10 uh, kilometres? Yeah, more? about that, yeah, yeah.
0: around, yeah. yeah so, so that would mean then Port Laugh to Waterford were, yeah, what, about... Uh, about the same again. About another time. There. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so again a nice little spot before you head into the... The larger city. Yeah, agreed. Yes, indeed. So, if anyone is wanting to get information, and you and I are going to have another chat at another time about the um, history of Dungarvan in more detail, but if someone's looking for information on the Greenway and about all the villages and all that, and as said, there's a copy of the towns and villages of the Waterford Greenway. Uh, if you go on through the app, you can get a copy. Uh, enter a competition for a copy there.
1: Um, where should they be going to find you? Well, aside from coming here well you can actually if you go to watfordmuseum.ie forward slash greenway where you'll find it it'll right. it be bought that way um, if you have an interest in keeping up in uh, Watford history you know I suppose the human side of Watford history uh, you can follow Watford Museum on Twitter that's just at Watford Museum uh, we're also on Facebook at Watford County Museum and we're on Instagram uh, which I don't particularly like but I use and you get us on Watford Museum as well on that so if anyone has queries or questions we'd be delighted to answer them and um, you know we, we enjoy when people are as interested in our county as we are. And maybe we should um, finish
0: out with uh, a few bars from Port Larga yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks a million. It's been great having you chat. It's been great learning more about the Greenway, and all it does is whet the appetite to actually spend more detailed time. And, and I can say, every time I've come here, the weather has been fantastic. Uh, there seems to be a bubble. <laughs>
1: yeah. Thanks very much. we well, enjoyed having you here.
4: Deep you. the ladder, the ladder, the on ladder, the master shade, the the dump, the deep the ladder, the the deep on the the